My name is Greg Knapp. This is the Greg Knapp Experience, your 20-minute thrill ride for your commute or your workout. Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib endorses a bill that says it should empty all federal prisons, and I've got the audio. Biden's answer to high gas prices is to release oil from our strategic reserve. That is the wrong move. I'll tell you why. A biological male prison inmate sexually assaulted a female inmate at a women's prison in Washington, according to a former guard there. Wow. We're going to get you the details on that. Is the answer to COVID in Africa and unvaccinated workers now being recruited by small businesses? Oh, let's start with Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, Axios, Jonathan Swan, quizzing her on the Breathe Act that she endorsed. She and other squad mate Ayanna Presley sponsored it, endorsed it. The other two squad members passed on it. That's how bad this thing is. Here's what the Breathe Act says about emptying prisons. The subsection on decarceration and prisons creates a roadmap for prison abolition. And it specifies, it requires that the U.S. Attorney General and Secretary of the HHS create and implement a population reduction plan that provides for full decarceration of federal detention facilities within 10 years without increasing the population on probation, parole, or criminal or civil supervision of any kind, and enacts a moratorium on all new federal prison, jail, immigrant, and youth detention construction. So what they're saying in the BREATHE Act is we will empty all the federal prisons, we won't build new ones, and we won't allow more probation or parole either. That's what's in the bill that she sponsored and endorsed, okay? So here's Jonathan Swan quizzing her about this, and listen to their back and forth here. This is pretty crazy. Listen. In 2020, you endorsed the BREATHE Act, which yeah. is a series of proposals to transform America's criminal justice system mm -hmm. and create, quote, a roadmap for prison abolition. The BREATHE Act proposes emptying federal detention facilities within 10 years. To what extent have you wrestled with any potential downsides of releasing into society every single person who's currently in a federal prison? Yeah, I, again, I think that everyone's like, oh my God, we're going to just release everybody. That's not That's what, what yeah, but did you see how many people are mentally ill that are in prison right now? No, I know, but the act that you so endorsed keep, actually gonna, says release everyone in But 10 in 10 years. years, but think about it. Who will release But there are, like, human traffickers. Oh, I know. Child sex. So, but I you're mean, saying, do you mean that you don't actually support that? No. Because you endorsed the bill. No, I endorsed the BREATHE Act and looking at federal, the policies and how we incarcerate. Absolutely. But it says in there. But you cannot, you cannot... You cannot just blankly say, oh, look, she wants... That's not what I'm... But that's like in plain text. But it? what I'm saying is look at who's in prison now. No, look at the I folks that are mentally ill, that I, have substance abuse but, problems. But I'm not have, disagreeing with you that there are people who Yeah, who but then why aren't you asking me about them? You're asking me about the human no, traffickers and others that no, should... I'm trying should to understand. No, no, no. To what I'm trying to understand is your, your proposal is so sweeping. It does, oh, oh, it does release yeah. everyone. And what I'm trying to say to you Within is... Within 10 years, and yeah. obviously there's a process of looking at how can we get away from mass incarceration. Sure. Yeah. See, I mean, uh, okay, it goes back and forth like that for quite a bit. She doesn't get it. 
She's like, oh, well, um, I mean, let's look who's in prison now. Yes, that's what we're looking at. All the bad people in prison who should not be released. Well, but some are mentally ill and on substances. Sure, okay, let's work on trying to make sure that people who are mentally ill and on substances get that help before they go to prison. But guess what? There's still a lot of bad people who have mental illness problems and are on substance abuse that shouldn't just be walking around with you and me. I mean, this woman is insane. This is in her own words. She finally gets around as Jonathan Swan presses her to saying, well, yeah, I mean, some people need to be in prison. And I mean, not everybody can be rehabilitated, but, but you know, in 10 years, we're just going to empty it anyway. She says, you know, you can't just look at what I said and use it as a blanket. Say what you, that bill is a blanket statement. <laughs> This is what these people believe, but they, they don't want to then actually listen and actually be held accountable for what they believe and what they say. In just a second, I want to tell you about the House Democrats. They are pushing the Senate now to ignore the rules to push through a bill they want that they can't get passed any other way. Another way that they're just, you know, abusing the rule of law and, and, and the way that the norms happen in D.C. However, first, if you're enjoying the show, I'm really asking you to be a part of this movement. I need you to help me let people know that the show exists. So if you like it and want more people to know about it, please tell three friends to then tell three friends, like-minded people who would enjoy the show, and pass it around. You can listen to the podcast anywhere podcasts are available. I would love you to like the Greg Knapp Experience Facebook page, and you can watch it on Rumble or YouTube too if you'd rather do the video, but you've got to tell three people to tell three people, and it's... It's uh, anywhere that that you can find the podcast. I really appreciate you being a part of pushing back on the left and rallying around what makes America exceptional. Thanks for being a part of it. So the House Democrats are demanding that the Senate ignore the parliamentarian there. See, they want this so-called pathway to citizenship in the huge spending bill. The only way they can pass the spending bill because they don't have the votes in the Senate to avoid a filibuster is to put it in a reconciliation bill. Now, a reconciliation bill has to have something to do with the budget. Only policies that directly change federal spending and revenue can be included in that. And they say the so-called pathway to citizenship, which would give millions and millions of legal aliens status here legally, does not do that. So no, you can't put it in the reconciliation bill and you only have one of those a year. So no, they're not going to be able to do it. Well, they've come out, the Democrats say, just ignore it. Yeah, we know what the parliamentarian said, but the role of the parliamentarian is an advisory one, and the parliamentarian's opinion is not binding. So just ignore it. See, you need 60 votes to break a filibuster and, and actually vote on the bill, and they don't have that, so they're doing the reconciliation, and now they're saying, you know, if the parliamentarian says it can't do it, so what? Who cares what the parliamentarian says? It's just like what they did when the courts have come forward and said, so far, we're saying that this COVID mandate from the federal government is unconstitutional. And we'll continue to hear the case, but we're putting a stay on it for now. And the Biden administration's response is, we're encouraging the businesses to continue to push the mandates. But, but wait a second, the court told you not to. Well, I mean, the, these businesses can still do it if they want to. Isn't that nice? Instead of saying, hey, you know, we're backing off our mandate and we're waiting to see what the courts say. No, 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 they don't want to do that. And now they're doing the same thing here. Everything the left claimed that Trump would do to be an authoritarian, to be a tyrant, to ignore the courts, to ignore the law, is precisely what the Democrats are doing now. Biden says he's got the answer for gas prices. Well, And, and there's a CNN uh, business senior writer, Julia Horowitz, has really been trying to help 
She wrote two very interesting pieces just in the last week with two very different headlines just a couple days apart. The first headline was this from CNN Business. Why Joe Biden can't do much to ease gas prices. The next headline. Oil prices are finally falling. Thank China and Joe Biden. I thought he couldn't do anything about it. Well, yeah, I mean, but you know, when things go bad, it's not his fault. When things go good, it's going to be all his fault. And I don't even think things are going good. Listen to this. U.S. President Joe Biden faces growing pressure to intervene in oil markets as Americans pay higher prices at the pump. But given the dynamics of play, is there really anything productive he can do? That was in the first article. But now Horowitz is hailing falling oil prices. Not by much. In the United States, prices fell sharply Wednesday after oil inventories at a key hub in Cushing, Oklahoma, rose for the first time in weeks. According to the White House, U.S. President Joe Biden and Chinese President Xi discussed the importance of taking measures to address global energy supplies during their virtual summit this week and sparked chatter about a coordinated move. What's the coordinated move? Okay. Coordinated move is to release some of the oil in our strategic petroleum reserve. 50 million barrels. China, India, Japan, Korea, UK will also tap their reserves in a coordinated effort to drive down prices, which will last for a couple of days. Yeah, this is from our energy department. In 2020, the United States consumed an average of about 18.2 million barrels of petroleum a day, a day. And we're talking about releasing 50. So in a Basically, the Thanksgiving weekend, it would all be gone. Probably less than that because that was 2020, which was a record low because largest rec recorded annual decline in U.S. petroleum demand because of COVID. So now as people are traveling more and doing more, that's going to do almost nothing. So here's what Biden has done so far. He got rid of all the Trump policies that were working, making us the number one producer of natural gas and producer of oil in the world. And we were exporting it, making money on it. And by the way, also putting pressure on Russia and Iran in the amount of money that they could generate from their oil and gas, which was also good for us in a geopolitical worldwide type deal, right? So he's begged OPEC to release more. And he's releasing some from our strategic petroleum reserve, which is supposed to be held for a real emergency like a war, which you're going to have to replace anyway, which is then going to take some of the supply off the market again. They're both very temporary things that will do almost nothing. Here's what you do. You increase production. You increase investment. You go back to the Trump policies. You increase production on federal lands. You allow it to be done on ANWR again. You take away a lot of these regulations that the Biden administration came in and slapped on leases and uh, all of the different drilling that's going on, and you let the oil flow. But see, they won't do it because they believe, they believe, they have this religious belief that fossil fuels are evil, that so-called green energy is the only way to go, and that we've got to keep the gas prices high, really. See, the Biden administration is a very tight spot here because they really want high gas prices. And we talked about that last week with a couple people actually virtually admitting, including Jen Psaki, that high gas prices will help us in the long term get to more green energy. That's what they really want. But in the short term, they know it's going to hurt them at the ballot box. So they've got to look like they're trying to do something and then lament the high prices when really they want the high prices. How about reopening the Keystone Pipeline? You could do that. How about not threatening to close the Michigan Pipeline? You could do that. But this is what they want. They want this high gas price. They, by the way, this is also going to hurt the environment in the short term. Did you see the story that people in the North and the West, these cold areas in America, 
People are buying wood for their fireplaces at a record pace because they know that the heating oil and the heating natural gas is going to be so expensive in the propane that they're going to use their fireplaces like never before. Nothing could be dirtier than trying to heat your home by burning wood in your fireplace. Now, I love a good fire. I'm not saying don't do it, but if that's going to be your main way of, of, there's so many pollutants in wood that are coming out compared to natural gas, clean burning natural gas or clean burning propane. These people don't even know what they're doing, man. Talk about the unintended consequences. Oh, and how about this one? I talked to you briefly about this a few weeks ago about what's going on in California. It's also happening now in the state of Washington. And there's a former guard at the only women's only prison in Washington. Scott Fleming is his name. And he's speaking out now to National Review. And he said, in the state of Washington, convicted biological male felons who say they identify as women have been transferred to the Washington Correction Centers for Women. And have, in some cases, sexually exploited the female inmates who are residing there. Technically, it would be called rape because there is no consensual sex in the prison. We'll get to the details on it. But male convicts can now be admitted into the women's prison in Seattle if an administrative panel accepts their gender dysphoria diagnosis. Now, the former guard said this, quote, The only prerequisite is that the men must identify as female. They aren't required to have had reassignment surgery. They don't need to be in the process of transitioning, nor do they have to be on a hormone regimen. The only requirement is they must proclaim to identify as a woman. Now, I said I saw a lot of people in there who you could tell truly were uh, trans. However, there were other people that you could tell were just exploiting the system. A serial killer whose victims were all women and a registered sex offender who raped a female minor before transitioning were among the six male criminals who were transferred to the prison while the guard Fleming was there. He said one day on the job, a fellow officer told him that she discovered Andromeda Love, one of the biological men who said he was a woman and he's now in there, and a developmentally disabled female inmate in bed together, unclothed. Developmentally disabled female inmate, naked. The woman, Heather Leanne Trent, is a victim of sexual assault and had been housed in the prison's mental health unit. So she was already a victim of sexual assault, mentally disabled, developmentally disabled, excuse me, in the mental health unit. They said that she had the developmental uh, mental ability of about a child. Says that the pair had been roommates a week before somebody caught them in bed together naked. Now, Andromeda Love tried to convince Trent that they were soulmates, according to the incident summary. It was presumed they had sexual intercourse, as the disabled inmate frequently mentioned to other occupants that she often performed oral sex on him. Given that all sexual relations are considered non-consensual by default in the prison system, Trent was technically raped, according to the Women's Liberation Front. Fleming told National Review his observation of their relationship was a predator-victim interaction post-assault rather than two inmates in love after having consensual intercourse. The prison did not respond when asked about the alleged assault. Now, here's Kara Dansky, president of the United States chapter of the Women's Human Rights Campaign. And she argues that it is by design that jails separate female offenders from their male counterparts. Yeah, she commented on the situation in California where you had a similar situation going on, and she said this ought to be a nationwide scandal. What's most frustrating to her is that the radical leftist championing the new rule seem to recognize it defies science because they provide birth control now in California to those women. Of course, birth control is there to do what? Prevent getting pregnant. The only possible way you can do that in prison? Insemination by a male. 
The California prison tacitly admits the transgender newcomers are in fact then biologically male, says Dansky. Quote, the fact that California prison officials are handing out contraceptives is an acknowledgement that they understand that these prisoners are men. If the prisoners being transferred were women, pregnancy would not be a concern. These prison officials know exactly what they're doing. We got to get that Dansky woman. She's saying men and women and that only men can get women pregnant and only women can get pregnant. This woman's crazy. Get her out of there. Deplatform her. Yeah, she's fighting for women's rights. And she's right. It should be a national scandal that we are putting biological men with fully functional genitalia in with women and then giving them birth control. Man, I'm living in bizarro world. Everything up is down. Right is wrong. Governor DeSantis of Florida has now signed a few bills into law that say companies cannot fire people because they're not uh, vaccinated for COVID. And where did Governor DeSantis go to sign the bill? A place in Florida, a city in Florida called Brandon. Brandon? Yes, that's right. Let's go, Brandon. Yes, that's right. That's where DeSantis decided to troll President Biden. Okay. So Florida attorney Greg Crossland has been representing a lot of uh, health professionals at various hospitals in Florida, and they are now having their suspensions rescinded. Now, Crossland did say that there is still uncertainty over the federal mandate. He said this is only a temporary victory. They could still be facing termination for a vaccine mandate all over again in January. Now, DeSantis signed multiple bills regarding these vaccine mandates. Under one of the bills, private employers must give workers the option of opting out of the vaccine mandate, including medical and religious exemptions. DeSantis said, I'm thankful to the Florida legislature for joining me in standing up for freedom. Oh, by the way, Walt Disney World also confirmed it's pausing its COVID-19 vaccine mandate for its employees. DeSantis and Brandon said, we're here to celebrate a great city in the state of Florida, a freedom city. And it's important that when you have the federal government overreaching like Joe Biden's doing, that we sign legislation to protect Floridians. Doing it here in Brandon, I think, is especially meaningful because I think people here really appreciate it. To which the crowd started chanting, let's go, Brandon. <laughs> oh, that's good. New York Post reporting companies are turning to recruiting unvaccinated workers to combat the nationwide labor shortage. So small companies, if you're less than 100, the federal government has not declared that you must mandate, even though that mandate's got to stay on it now from the court system. But these smaller companies are saying, all right, then we're going to start recruiting people who are unvaccinated, who need a place to work. By the way, there's a job board doing this. Uh, drawn more than 2.25 million unique visitors and over 20,000 resumes posted. Wow. Now we have this from the guy that started that website, Val uh, Valadez is his name. He said, we're seeing a massive migration from corporations to smaller businesses. Many in the health industry are completely abandoning their career path in favor of something completely different. We're seeing doctors and nurses apply at travel agencies. Travel agencies? They're still travel agencies? That might not be a great idea. Uh, just the other day, we saw a resume from a NASA data analyst who was willing to work as a plumber or an electrician as long as the employer respected their values and their bodily autonomy. Yeah, we're losing a lot of good people and a lot of good experience because of this nonsense. Daniel Horowitz has a very interesting piece here about what's going on in Africa. Remember I told you the AP had a piece, something mysterious is happening in Africa. Yeah, it's a very low vaccinated part of the world. Central Africa, all these different countries, very low vaccination rate. And yet 
very low COVID rate and very low death by COVID rate. Hmm. Here's a little bit from the AP. There's something mysterious going on in Africa that's puzzling scientists, said Wafa Al-Sadr, chair of Global Health at Columbia University. Africa doesn't have the vaccines and the resources to fight COVID-19 that they have in Europe and the U.S., but somehow they seem to be doing better. Fewer than 6% of people in Africa are vaccinated. For months, the World Health Organization described Africa as one of the least affected regions in the world. So how is it that Europe and the United States have much higher vaccination rates than Africa, and yet in Europe, its cases are worse than ever? America, we've now racked up more deaths in 2020 when there was no vaccine in 2021 when there is a vaccine. Now, I know there's a Delta variant, but uh uh-oh, that's not so great because what's the next variant? So as Dana Horowitz points out, in Africa, they're using cheap anti-malarial and anti-parasitic drugs. Yeah, now that would be hydrochloroquine and ivermectin. (gasps) He said hydrochloroquine and ivermectin, it's time to deplatform. Yeah, these are drugs that have been around for a long time and do a lot of good. They're not designed for COVID, you can't do it. You're right, they're not designed for COVID, but there's been some pretty good anecdotal evidence that it's been working, and here's some more. As Horowitz points out, it's true that Africans are younger, the country's data is less reliable in those in the, the different countries there in Africa, but that cannot account for the fact that COVID deaths have been nearly non-existent in many of these countries. Now, the AP thinks that maybe past infection and parasitic diseases and exposure to malaria might make people in those countries more immune to the virus. Or could it be that the treatment for malaria and the treatment for parasitic diseases is hydrochloroquine? and ivermectin, respectively. And could it be that that's also helping them fight off COVID? Hmm. See, since 1987, Merck has been funneling several hundred million doses of ivermectin per year through the Central American Donation, Central African, excuse me, Donation Program. That's the Mectizan Program. How are those countries doing? Very well. And by the way, how's Japan doing Japan was experiencing its sharpest peak of the pandemic recently, but appears to have enjoyed a steeper and quicker decline since August than any other Asian country. And there's a Japanese doctor that went out and he says he believes it's because of our use of ivermectin. Quote, in Africa, if we compare countries distributing ivermectin once a year with countries which do not give ivermectin, I mean, they don't give the ivermectin to prevent COVID, but to prevent parasitic diseases. But if we look at COVID numbers in countries that give ivermectin, The number of cases is 134.4 per 100,000. The number of deaths is 2.2 in 100,000. Now, African countries which do not distribute ivermectin have 950.6 cases per 100,000 and 29.3 deaths per 100,000. So we're talking about 10 times worse outcome in the African countries that do not prescribe ivermectin every year as a prophylactic for parasites. Hmm. The Japanese doctor concluded, I believe the difference is clear. Then there's Uttar Pradesh. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. It's a state in India. It's the largest state in India, about 240 million people. Excuse me. And it has crushed its COVID curve to the point that the virus essentially has been eradicated since June. Now, a lot of the decline was likely due to built-up immunity does not account for the fact that the cases did not just decline to a low level, but essentially flatlined for months. And they're seeing similar trends in other Indian states that used ivermectin. Now, it's simply unheard of in any other country that experienced a large wave 
to then go for six straight months with essentially no cases. And again, when the cases were eradicated, these Indian states had a very low vaccination rate. 15% were fully vaccinated. A similar trend, by the way, has happened in Chiapas, Mexico. Now, Horowitz is, is right to point out, none of this alone shows empirically that ivermectin itself is a magic pill. Nobody is claiming that. But what it does show is that maybe, since we're pouring billions of dollars into the vaccine and in trying to mandate people to take it, maybe we should spend just a little bit on researching a very cheap, safe, and repurposed drug or two. Why aren't we doing it? By the way, the vaccine is really not a vaccine anymore. The definition of vaccine is that you stimulate production of antibodies to provide immunity. And, and everybody knows now, CDC, the World Health Organization, even Fauci will admit, it does not make you immune. So the vaccine really is a therapeutic now, isn't it? And we're supposed to get it every six months. And we're supposed to not even talk about the possibility of ivermectin and hydrochloroquine helping. Since when in America are we not allowed to debate and talk about this stuff? Well, since about mm, five years ago now, since Trump was elected. New York Assembly says there's overwhelming evidence that Governor Cuomo, former Governor Cuomo, was guilty of corruption and sexual harassment. This is the New York State Assembly, an eight-month impeachment investigation, 46-page report. The Assembly Judiciary Committee found that Mr. Cuomo used state workers and other public resources to write, publish, and promote his memoir about his handling of the coronavirus pandemic. Remember when he was labeled a hero? That's likely a violation of state ethics laws. And it also concluded Mr. Cuomo, quote, was not fully transparent regarding the number of nursing home residents who died as a result of COVID-19. Its findings led one committee member to say that there, quote, would be a very reasonable inference that there was some correlation between Cuomo's 5.1 million book deal and his administration's manipulation of the nursing home death data. Oh, and it also showed that former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo personally edited a July 2020 Department of Health report that undercounted nursing home COVID deaths by thousands. Instead of it being 10,000, they listed it as 6,500 because they only counted the people who died in the nursing home, not the people that got it in the nursing home and then were transferred to the hospitals to try to save their lives. Remember, he was the hero. Maybe CNN needs to do a special investigation. Maybe they could even use Chris Cuomo. My name's Greg Knapp. This is the Greg Knapp Experience. (laughs) 